Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. My name is Rodney Hu, your host as always. And today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Ami Hein-Niderman. He is the CEO and co-founder of NIM Health. And I'm excited to have him on give him an opportunity to share his story. He's a seasoned technology leader with a decade of experience in research, cyber intelligence, and R&D, as well as a frequent speaker at technology conferences with a great passion for healthcare IT solutions. Amihai is seeking to apply his in-depth knowledge in order to transform the healthcare industry. So I'm excited to have him on. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rodney. Excited to be here too. So why don't we just jump into it? Why don't we give people a brief background of who you are and how you ended up in the healthcare space? Sure. I actually started my, my background is in engineering, started my bachelor in math computer science when I was actually 14. I'm not sure it's something I highly recommend anybody doing, but that's what I did. At the age of 18, I'm not sure if I'm based out of Israel right now. In Israel, we have a mandatory army service for three years. When you turn 18, everybody had to join the army. It's actually a pretty fun experience. Because of my computer science background, I got drafted to a unit called 8200. This is our equivalent to the NSA here in the States, the National Security Agency, and what we call our signal intelligence unit. So I joined that, that unit. I think I had the, the best time of my life there. I got to work with some of the smartest people alive. A couple of years after I joined, I, was, I went to the officer training school, so I became an officer. End up extending my service more and more because I just enjoyed the work I was doing there and end up being a major at the end. My last role, I command the research section of about 20 researchers and yeah, I almost stayed for 10 years over there. Awesome. Awesome. Now you're at NIM. It's a company that you co-founded that you're a part of. So why don't we just talk about that and what you guys are building over there? Sure. By the way, I just you know, started saying that most of my work was in engineering and as you can guess, uh, healthcare and intelligence don't usually go together. Most of my work was in cyber <laughs> intelligence and the way I actually got into healthcare in the first place was uh, my wife, she's an MD, PhD. And just a little before we got married, she told me how she performed her research at the hospital that she's working. And for me, it sounded like a really weird process. It involves all manual work, like nothing automated. Not the stuff that I'm used to, especially from the army. Like we have this great tradition that if you can automate something, you automate it. So we don't leave stuff to do done manually if we can do it faster and more efficiently. So I try to help her with a little bit of what I could do with very basic understanding of healthcare. I helped her with some very rudimentary analytics that really expedited her work. And that got me really excited about doing something in healthcare. That's how I actually decided to switch from doing cyber security into healthcare. And just before I started a company, when I knew I wanted to do something in that space, a very good friend from the army, Adam, who's my co-founder and our CTO here in the company, he just graduate his master's degree in a field called computational linguistics. It's a field that's very similar to if your listeners know the field of NLP, natural language processing. So computational linguistics is part of that field, but I think that was mostly, I don't want to say like a hidden secret or a kept secret uh, of the academia, but it was a field that was most rich in the academia. It's a process of people researching how people, us as humans, understand and when he finished his master's degree, he was also interested in doing something in the space of NLP. We started talking about combining his uh, very unique expertise in healthcare. And we're looking to see if there is any particular field that we're both interested in. There is a big problem and that very unique approach could actually be applicable to. And that's how we stumbled the field of what we're doing today 
of mental coding, which is a subset of a field called revenue cycle management. It's a very, almost a very unique problem for the U.S. healthcare market. And that's something we even have remotely to here in Israel on how healthcare providers or hospitals are getting paid for any procedure or diagnosis that they perform the render on the patient. And it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting problem because part of the healthcare space, it's a big problem there, but you don't have to go when you're starting a company, you don't have to go and receive FDA approvals when and starting your product. You don't have to spend years with the health systems, with the physicians themselves to show that you're generating some uh, positive ROI to the organization in order to win the contract. Something that's very clear cut that you're gradually helping them. You're bringing great ROI for the organizations, helping them save money, improve their processes. And moreover, because it's not part of the clinical domain, then it's a pretty great sandbox or a place to experiment with unique technology, with cutting edge technology without risking anybody's life. Meaning that you don't have to receive any FDA approvals and you don't have to go through the procurement process with physicians involved. Interesting. And so I'm just listening to your company and how you are mixing this world of cybersecurity and technology and coding with healthcare. You're balancing two different industries. And so you're working with like physicians on one end and software engineers on the other. How are you guys able to balance and mesh those two roles together? balance, we're actually getting a lot of great value by having a lot of people that are multidisciplinary here in the company. One thing that we did is we have a team of computational linguists. So those are people who are uh, foremost, they're linguists, but they're also computer engineers. So they understand the linguistic wall, but they can also write the code to actually execute the algorithm that they have designed. We have a team of physicians here. All of our physicians are also engineers. A lot of our physicians all advanced degrees in, in computer science. So they're also part of our engineering team. Every team member can do just more than one task. They don't need a lot of hand-holding. They don't need a lot of product people to help and guide them. Almost everybody in the company, they're their own domain experts. Nice. And so when it comes to revenue cycle management, I feel like I've heard that term before, but it's not a talked about sector within healthcare. So what's your approach to helping people within that specific market? How did you go about identifying a problem and how does your product or service help solve the main problems that people within that vertical are experiencing? So revenue cycle management, that's a huge part of the U.S. healthcare system. You'll talk with hospitals, even the ones that are not-for-profit, they still need to make some money in order to pay salaries to their physicians to attract like, great talents, pay for supplies. So they need to have a top-notch revenue cycle management because that's the way they're getting paid. We're looking at a small sliver inside that. It's a pretty huge domain. We're looking at just one part of it, which is called medical coding. This is the actual way the insurance company know actually what to pay for. So the insurance company, you can't expect them, like no, not everybody grew up to not to expect sending them what's called a claim or an invoice for $20,000, just expect them to pay that just cost. Because there's a lot of mistrust between the payers, insurance companies, and the providers, the hospital, the physicians themselves. The insurance company don't really trust the physicians to send them the most accurate claim. And they really want to know what they're actually paying for. And But for them to actually understand what they're paying for, they will have to go over the entire patient chart discharge letter. They don't want to spend the time and the money going over all of those discharge papers because it requires somebody with medical training to read them, understand those papers. And also the physicians themselves are not that excited about sending those discharge letters as well because it puts them in a kind of odd position where the insurance companies could actually 
start poking around and saying, we believe you should have done something different. And then you're not actually overruling their billing capabilities of the physician, but their actual medical professionalism. So what the insurance companies are getting is not the, the actual discharge letter from the patient, from the hospital, they're actually getting a list of codes where there's a code, it's an alphanumerical code, are pretty short, where there's a code for every diagnosis and every procedure. Each of those price, each of those codes have a kind of a price tag attached to it. And that's basically the only way to get paid. So that's what the insurance companies are getting. So if you fractured your arm, there is a code for a fractured right or left arm. They perform an x-ray, there is a code for an x-ray. An x-ray worth like 100. And that's what the insurance companies get today. Now, traditionally, the way that coding was done, because it was done manual, and still a lot of it's being done manual, but it's not being done by the physicians themselves, because it doesn't make a lot of financial sense for the physicians themselves. Because when, let's say you're a physician, and it takes you a minute to code a chart, and it takes, by the way, way longer than a minute. And you're seeing 30 patients a day, so it's one minute times 30 patients a day. It ends up like half an hour, and half an hour you can squeeze in like two or three more patients. And you probably know that, like an average price with your primary care physician, or if you're going to the ED, it could be like $300. So it adds up to almost like a thousand bucks a day that you're essentially leaving on the table just in order to be able to collect your reimbursement for the rest of the patients you've seen that. So it doesn't make a lot of financial sense for the physicians to do it themselves. Today, there's 200,000 people spread between a lot of them in the US, somewhere in India and the Philippines. And those people, they're called medical coders or coding specialists. What they do every day, all day long is going over physician notes and converting them from the charts themselves to a list of those reimbursement codes. And that's how it's been done for the last 50, 60 years or so. Nice. And you guys are trying to disrupt the game. And when you think of technology, I feel like, especially when you talk about your background, you deal with pretty complex technology. At least that's what you're used to. And when you think about the healthcare industry and how they're an industry that's pretty slow to adopt new technology, to be realistic, but how does your technology help simplify the process for the insurance and the doctors and reduce friction during in that workflow? Sure. So what we're doing, we're actually automating the coding process. Where I will take uh, patient charts, the physician notes, and convert them automatically with no human intervention into a list of those reimbursement codes called ICD and CPTs. And today, so this process taking between a week to two weeks because those codes all the codes always have queues because they're not working twenty four seven. They're not working weekends. They're not working through holidays. So there's always a backlog. So it always takes between a week or two to get to code your chart for your visits, for example, we can do it in two and a half seconds. The way we actually affect the entire revenue cycle, even you as a patient can actually see that, is because we're shaving off so many days from the revenue cycle process and also the charts with extremely high accuracy, like we're seeing something in the order of 98% accuracy. This is one or two stigma better than what most human coders will be able to achieve. And that took us some time to actually get there. It was almost two and a half years of almost saying no to clients and just focusing on building the core technology to assemble the right team to do it. But once we got it out there, we're seeing amazing results. So when once you achieve this 98% accuracy, for example, then the insurance companies they find less reason to deny a specific claim because well, they're saying that the coding is right. So they're denying less claims, meaning that our clients, the hospitals and the providers, they're getting paid faster, they're getting paid more. They're going to have less 
claims being denied. So they're going to get more revenue this way that they're entitled to. They need to spend less money on auditing and QA processes internally, what they call scrubbing or kindling denials from the insurance companies when you have to write an appeal letter saying, oh, sorry, we actually made a mistake. This is the right code to use. Or saying, we believe that you made a mistake. The insurance company, we think we're right the first time, but it still takes time and money for them. Those are stuff that our clients rarely see right now. They still do, still see some of it, but much less than what they've seen before. So first of all, for them, all their processes are now more efficient, they're faster, it affects their entire organization. And even the client, the patients, I don't want to say client, the patients, they're even noticing this because now instead of, let's say you're going to the ED, you get treated, four months later, you can get a surprise bill telling me, well, you owe us $15,000. We gave you an Advil at the ED as the patient is because they have to run through all those processes, the entire revenue cycle process it takes time to process them first of all internally in the in the hospital. Then you have to send to the payers, insurance companies, do their part. There'll be a lot of back and forth or some back and forth. And at some point you can make, all right, this has to go to the patient for them to pay. And if we're able to shave so much time from that process, you as a patient, you can get your bill, something that you probably owe them, you'll get much faster, but you won't six months later catching a surprise where you completely forgot you actually even visited that hospital. Interesting. And it's cool to see how the technology and your guys' approach to the specific vertical helps reduce friction and stuff like that. But I'm curious, what's your take on like man versus machine? Because I feel like a lot of the problems that you guys are solving is just eliminating a lot of human error through technology. And so how do you see that balance taken playing out or what is the trend do you see this going? Yeah, I, I won't necessarily call it man versus machine. I'm a big believer of automation or I'm, again, I'm, computer, I'm a computer scientist. That's what I've been doing since I was eight, essentially. So I like writing code, even though today I don't have much time doing it, but I, I still enjoy it. I believe that there are some tasks that are better left for computers to do. This is like a very specific task. I think computers will do it better and faster and everybody will gain from it. We just never had technology to do it. But that's the unique part about NIM, the computational linguistic approach that we took to build that engine. And that's why it's important when we build the company is having the right kind of team that can do this, having the right kind of investors to back the company, support the company, knowing it's going to take time to build this technology. There is some kind of a technological bet, whether it's going to work or not. And now when it's working, I'm pretty sure our investors are thrilled about that. Again, this is something that things better left for computers to do. And even today, we're not able to do 100% of everything in the US. There are some portions that we still have to leave for people because it's either too complicated for us or you need somebody, you need a human in the loop. And it's not part of our loop. We know pretty well what we can do. And in those cases, we just move with people to humans, usually in our science facilities for them to handle where you need some kind of a human touch. We still do the vast majority, but there are some cases where you do need the human intervention. Nice. So it's technology plus a little bit of human touch. So rather than technology competing with the human and like people, it's they're really complementing to allow them to be more efficient and more effective and automate certain processes. Awesome. And so, man, you have a pretty interesting background. And what excites you as far as what you guys are working on and projects you guys got in the works What's exciting you right now that you're looking forward to? I remember when we started, we're just two guys working from a coffee shop or from our living room at the time. And now there are almost 60 people in the company. We're growing to almost 100 by the end of the year. Just seeing how the company grows. See actually working in 
real life. Like there are more than a couple of dozens of hospitals are using this on a day-to-day basis and getting value. So it's something that we started, Adam and I started building uh, again in our, in our house a few, three years ago. And now there's a pretty big team who's working on it, improving this. There are a lot of people getting value from this. Every time I talk with either investors, with clients, or just even with just friends, it's almost funny thinking that we're slowly becoming one of the biggest, one of the bigger coding companies out there. And we only have one coder working for the company. Actually, just one guy, and he's actually pretty new. He's our compliance officer. But we're doing all this, something that will traditionally require an army of people, with just one guy who's helping us uh, maintain the, the quality and the and our R&D processes. Nice. He's a valuable piece right there. Keep him on the team. But we're coming up towards the end of the interview. We've been covering a lot of high-level topics, but I have one more question, and it's what sort of advice would you give to other companies, other founders who are looking to create technology for the healthcare space and get it out to the market, get it into the hands of people that it can help? Well, healthcare, and everybody told me that before we started, and I shook it off, but they're right. And it's fine. But people have to know that it's not the fastest moving industry in the world. Things move slow. You can't push it faster. That's the way it's going to be. So you have to be prepared for this mentally, financially, when you're building the company, let your employees know that there are not going to be a lot of quick wins. There are going to be a lot of wins, but we'll take some time to get to some of them. Awesome. I think that's a perfect piece of advice. Excellent way to end the main part of the segment. But like I said, we've been covering high-level topics. I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a set of questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Ender's Game. Nice. Made it into a movie too. Number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career? That's a, that's a question. Person. It's so hard to say. There are so many people who are involved. I think I've been talking on a day-to-day basis. It's hard to put the finger on just one person. I can say that maybe I'll make the most challenging decisions or I'll, I'll change everything for him. Is my son, my four-year-old son. Awesome. That's a good answer. I haven't heard that one yet. Number three. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? I'm thinking maybe on a, it's more on a personal level. I want the world to get back in, in, to what it was. I miss the, the old days before COVID, even though I, I took the shot and I encourage our people to do it so we can go back out there, travel again, go abroad, something I highly miss. Tribute to this. Yeah, no, the world has been crazy. Felt hasn't fully gone back to regular but last but not least what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year olds enjoy the road okay just enjoy the journey trust the process i like it but yeah that's a perfect way to end today's episode um i just want to thank you again for jumping off taking some time out of your day to share what you've been working on share the impact that you're trying to make in the healthcare industry but before you go where can people learn more about you where can they learn more about nim go ahead plug it you can always google my name and you can find some things that i've done you can read about the company on our website nim.house or nimhealth.com where you can learn more about the company awesome and i'll be sure to include those links in the resources section but with that being said that ends today's episode catch you guys on the next one